Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Chamber of Secrets. Today we will be discussing Lockhart's true character, memory charms, and why Harry always has to do the most dangerous part alone. So first things first, uh, confusing chapter title, right? Yes. Because it's the same as the book. Particularly confusing episode. And um, also, I haven't been feeling too well the past couple of weeks, so uh, this episode will be coming out a little bit late. Um, and I still have a uh, sort of stuffy nose, so apologies in advance for that as well. But uh, we're going to be getting back onto our normal schedule of uploading every couple of weeks after this. So a couple of apologies out of the way. Let's move on to... Uh, Apology our- accepted. <laughs> Let's move on to our question of the day. So if you had a secret note clutched in your petrified hand, like Hermione in this chapter, what single word would you write on it to give readers the best clue to the overall mystery of the Harry Potter series? That's a good question. And that's very difficult. Um, I think that I would probably write something like souls or split or something that having to do with the secret of Horcruxes because I feel like that is the main mystery. And that's like kind of what, in my opinion, that moves the end of the story mystery forward. So I would, I don't know. It's really hard. Yeah, actually, like... It's funny you said souls. Like I was actually going to say souls really? too for okay. my answer. Yeah, because you know, it, or or something like twins, or something like um, parallels, or like phoenixes, or like circular, something mm-hmm. like that that implies you know the the um, parallel nature, circular nature of the story. You know, like Harry parallels Voldemort, yeah. but uh, and like they're they're essentially like you know two sides of the same coin. Um, and that they have so much in common, like that—that that is the central theme of the series, and the final sort of mystery is like, how does that come to bear? So, yeah, like I think that's a good answer. Maybe souls. Be souls hard would probably be one the, word. Yeah, but but that's the best um, yeah. one word clue I think yeah. I could think of. So this chapter starts off with um, McGonagall telling the students that they're still going to be final exams despite the attacks. They're still kind of trying to keep the school going and finish up the year. Right. And then they also announced that on one particular day that the mandrakes are ready and that the victims of all the attacks are going to be revived that evening. On that day in the Great Hall, Ginny tries to come up to Harry and Ron and seems very anxious and wants to tell them something. But then Percy comes up and she looks at him and kind of freaks out and runs away. Harry and Ron want to follow up on their clue from Aragog and sneak out to Myrtle's bathroom, but McGonagall catches them. They give her the brilliant excuse that they want to actually go see Hermione, and she lets them, but then they have to go to see Hermione. Yeah. So um, they go to see Hermione, and it's good that they do because they find a tiny piece of paper, like we talked about in our question, that's clutched in her hand that has one word on it, which is pipes, and it is also the back of a library page that is describing the basilisk. Mm-hmm. So they figure out this is what, that Hermione has figured out what the monster is, and that it's getting the school, through the school, through the pipes. So Harry and Ron leave the hospital wing, and they go to tell McGonagall what they know, 
But while they're on their way, there's an announcement of another attack. They are in the staff room because they were about to tell McGonagall. So they hide when all the teachers come in and they learn that Ginny has been taken down to the chamber and that Hogwarts will close the next day. So the teachers are all very solemnly discussing like what they should do. And McGonagall's talking about closing the school the next day. And Lockhart comes in and he's like, why is everyone so glum? You know, like what's going on? And, and Snape immediately is like, Oh, the perfect man. It's your chance. And now is your chance. They basically call his bluff and they say, like, go fight the monster if you're so convinced that you know what it is and where it is and how to defeat it. Right. Go fight the monster. We'll wait. And so then Harry and Ron, after this meeting, go to Lockhart's office to try to talk to him about what they know. And then they see that he's actually running away. He's packing up all his stuff. And he also tells them, I'm a phony. I didn't do any of those things. I just talked to people about this stuff in my books. And I wiped all their memories. And now I just told you that stuff, so I'm going to wipe your memory too. Um, But they disarm him and then uh, take him to Myrtle's bathroom where she reveals that one of the taps uh, never worked. And uh, they ask her how she died. And she tells them that she basically like was in this bathroom and then looked up and saw a great pair of yellow eyes. And then that's it. I mm-hmm. was dead. So Harry and Ron realize that's where the chamber's entrance is. Um, and they find a tap with a little snake on it. Mm-hmm. And Harry uses parcel tongue to tell it to open. And it does. So they all go down to the chamber because they still are kind of holding Lockhart hostage. Um, they see a snake skin that has been shed. Um, Lockhart says, okay, great. I'm going to take this up and say that I killed the monster and that I couldn't save Jenny. So he tries to, um, he kind of tackles Ron and gets his wand. But because Ron's wand is so messed up, as we've seen this whole book, it backfires and the memory charm hits him. There's a huge explosion and uh, the tunnel collapses partially. Huge chunks of rock basically separate Harry from ron and lockhart um and so harry decides to go on alone and finds and then opens the door to the actual chamber of secrets itself okay so my first thought is that this is really where things begin to fall apart for me in terms of the logic of this book so why don't they just tell mcgonagall anyway i don't understand why are they hiding i know that there was an announcement saying that Oh, all students go back to your dormitories, but whatever. They now know the answer. They need to help. And so they're like, let's just hide, even though all the teachers that could help us are right here. And then even after they find out what happens, they're like, let's go to Lockhart, who's clearly crazy, and not still try to go talk to McGonagall about what we know. Right. So just like a lot of really bad decisions, almost like laughably bad, as you were just saying, um, by Harry and Ron in particular. Like, I get they're freaked out, like, they don't really know what's going on, um, and they're 12, but still, like, you know, the axiom of, like, go tell an adult, and, like, you know, you should trust your head head of house, McGonagall is acting headmistress and is their head of house. Right. Um, you know, even though they haven't had very much luck, like, trying to talk to her about things in the past, you know, I think she would understand if they were like, we know where the chamber is, like, sh- can't we at least try yeah. to go save Ginny? Like, you know, you and Snape and Flitwick and Sprout, like, go and try to save Ginny. And, like, we'll we'll try to, like, send a message to the Ministry and Dumbledore. 
and like get some aurors to come. Yeah, help, everything like, would have been better than what they did. Yeah. Um, which is again, you know, kind of what happened in the first book and all that right. stuff. So, I mean, there's not much to say. It's not a good story, really, if they do that. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense. What we can say maybe is that like. Yes, not a lot makes sense in these chapters. The story ends up being compelling anyway, but Rowling gets a lot better after this of like constructing narratives that at least make sense. Yeah. Like putting characters in positions where, you know, what they do is logical and it still leads to disastrous situations. Right. Like in the next book, you know, and, and I think that's like Prisoner of Azkaban is really where it starts being like, we don't have to rely on our characters to be idiots yes. to have a compelling story. Yes, very uh, true. And, and actually, like, you know, sometimes they're really smart. So um, I think that's what I'm really looking forward to after this book is, yeah. is, is having that um, and, and not having characters that are so unreliable and who make such bad decisions yeah. at critical moments. So, yes, they're brave. And, and, yes, it's like a Gryffindor trait to just run headlong into conflicts like this. But it's, it's over the top. It's right. too much. And we can wonder, I think, if um, Hermione had been with them, if things would have been different, Mm -hmm. which is, again, kind of another thing we've talked about this whole book, which is why is Hermione out of the action so much? And I think probably it's because she was too smart and would have ended the story earlier. Um, And we do see that, you know, she saves the day again by having them... Um, even though she's petrified, she was giving them the clue that they needed, as we discussed, um, about the basilisk and how it's moving. I said that I was still not convinced as to why she can't be awake for this, but I do think that she would have, uh, gone to McGonagall and just not been stupid, so. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the main reasons. And the other one, of course, is that she figured it out earlier than, than the story would allow them to know it. Right. Um, so a couple other questions we had at, at sort of the beginning of this chapter. Um, so Ginny is targeted, right? Mm-hmm. But at this point, we still don't know why Ginny is being targeted. Ron believes that it was because um, she knew something. All right. You know, when she tried to talk to them at breakfast that morning and she was really nervous, Percy thought it was because she'd seen him kissing this girl, Penelope. Yeah. Um. But it's not. It's it's that she suspects that something is up with her. Yeah, that she's doing that something. That she's doing this. And that, you know, she's she's convinced that she's not in control of herself and she wants she needs their help. Right. What what's really telling to me is that she doesn't go to McGonagall, she doesn't go to Percy. No. She goes to Harry and Ron. Like Harry, this boy that she's had a crush on all year. Yeah. And Ron, who's, you know, not her favorite older brother, really. She she likes Fred and George more, I think. Yeah. And, like, you know, she, she trusts them a lot. Yeah. And I think especially, like, how much she looks up to Harry, um, even though she does have this crush on him, she's she's not so nervous that she can't talk to him. Like, she she in that moment was, was getting ready to tell them everything. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting because I think part of it is, like, she knows that they have dealt with things, like, last year that were similar to this where they kind of got themselves involved in some dangerous stuff. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, I think maybe part of her knows that there is a connection to Harry and this situation. I mean, I think, you know, that unconscious part of her that is doing all these things and interacting with Riddle, who is another Horcrux as is Harry, like, understands 
that they are connected and that Harry somehow needs to do this. Right. And and she does look up to his heroism, too, even aside from that. And I think there's also the thing of, like, Harry knows about the diary. Right. So, yes, like, that's true. She, so she, knows. she knows that he is at least aware of, you know, parts of this story. Yeah. When she, If she were going to tell Percy, she would have to start with, okay, so there's this magical diary. Right. But for Harry and Ron, she's like, okay, at least they know that. Yeah. Right? So all I have to do now is explain, like, Tom is actually evil and he's controlling me and he's the one that's right getting me to like attack these people yeah um so yeah it's not so tough to explain when you put it that way another thing we see in this chapter is that harry is actually quite capable of deception when uh when he needs to be um yeah he comes up with that excuse really quickly that they're going to see hermione yeah and it's a brilliant one that like when mcgonagall catches them out of bounds uh and he's like oh we're just really upset we just like wanted to go see hermione yeah and mcgonagall's like well yeah i understand yeah <laughs> and we real. see this you know again throughout the series like all of them of course do this but this is kind of the first time that harry comes up with a very convincing lie and he's gonna have to do that a lot of times mm-hmm. um especially at hogwarts so that's kind of the one smart thing that he does this chapter but besides hermione's help we can note that harry has had enormous help with every aspect of this mystery throughout the whole book the the central mystery of the story yeah yeah and and even then he still hasn't figured out who the heir is he still doesn't know that the diary is connected like he doesn't know anything at this point right yeah he understands very little considering how much help he's had so like you know he he's seen the diary riddle told him about hagrid and aragog uh aragog told him about this crazy monster and about Myrtle. Mm-hmm. Myrtle told him about the pair of yellow eyes. Hermione told him about what the monster is and how it's getting around. So now Harry knows, okay, the monster is a basilisk, which is a type of snake. The heir of Slytherin has to be able to speak parcel tongue. Mm-hmm. So the heir of Slytherin can control snakes. That's like all he knows. Right. He still hasn't connected it to the diary, to Tom Riddle. Yeah. You know, and to the fact that like Lord Voldemort is a descendant of Salazar Slytherin, or to the fact that Ginny, who is, like, acting very oddly this year, who, ha- you know, like, is is looking sick and comes up to them at breakfast and looks like she's the most nervous person in the world and then gets kidnapped, allegedly, um, he still doesn't see that she has anything to do with this. Right. Right? Even and, though yeah. he knows when the diary went missing again, it must have been a Gryffindor that stole it. Right. You know, he still hasn't put two and two together. So, um, it is a complicated mystery to be fair, but we just see, I think, again, in these earlier books, as you said, like Rowling gets much better at it. But I think it also sets a foundation that are like, Harry and Ron are like, okay, but they're not really that smart. Yeah, they're kind of like average intelligence. And, you know, we know that Hermione is the smart one, but they really are not putting things together as quickly as she or. Even, honestly, Ginny or other people do later on in the books. Mm -hmm. So, that's okay. They are 12, though. So, now to what I think really the meat of this chapter is. Since not a ton happens, it's a big setup chapter. But we do get a lot revealed about Lockhart's character. And why he is so strange and has been acting this way the entire book. So... Last chapter, we talked about him being kind of suspicious, like maybe he was involved in the chamber. No. Now we find out he is a complete fraud. Um, 
he, which we could have also guessed from some of his poor magic earlier on, but um, we find out that he has made up all of his books. He did travel the world, but he interviewed the people that did the heroic and exciting, dangerous things. And then he stole their information and obliviated them. So he used the memory charm Mm -hmm. against them. Um, One thing that I think is important to note is that I think that Lockhart is truly um, narcissistic and goes along with, you know, the idea of, like, Narcissus in Greek myth um, because he is, you know, very vain and beautiful and is always looking at himself and has all these pictures of himself on the walls. Um, But I think it goes deeper than that because people... um, Today, if they're diagnosed with narcissistic personality, they are extremely insecure internally, mm-hmm. um, but are overly confident and on top of the world in front of other people. And that is how they're coping with it. And it's impossible for them to ever admit that they have any flaws or need any help. And then that gets them into a lot of trouble. And that's what's happening here with Lockhart. Yeah. And he's a really fascinating character once all this is revealed because, you know, he he was basically, to unpack him, he was basically an author. Mm-hmm. And he was very attractive. I presume he did well in school and everything. Um, and he was writing and then he thought to himself, I want to write about amazing adventures of all these wizards. Mm-hmm. And then he goes around and he interviews a couple of them maybe. And they're... they're you know they're they're fascinating but they're ugly they're not well spoken mm-hmm. you know they're heroes but they they don't look the part of heroes right. and so lockhart goes i i won't sell any books if i'm writing about these people that aren't interesting yeah so what so if i, did I them? so what if i did it yeah what if i did all these things then i'll sell tons of books right um but now it's a big problem of how do you accomplish that so he had to figure out exactly how they'd done all the things that they did he had to wipe their memories perfectly so that they just didn't remember that one thing, but mm-hmm. everything else was intact. And then he had to be able to, in some regard, like replicate for his audience the act of having done those things. Right. So he had to be at least pretty good at magic, you know, just to be able to, to get by when people asked him about these things. And he had to know everything about what the better wizards had done. Yeah, so very good researcher. <laughs> yeah, so an excellent researcher and a, and a very good author, presumably, but... Uh, you know, he's not written that way from Harry's perspective. He's no. written like a buffoon. And so one wonders, you know, as a reader, like, how did he fool all these people into thinking that right. he had actually done all this stuff if he is such a buffoon, if he is such a self-obsessed buffoon? So, like, I don't know. I think that's maybe exaggerated in this book because it's from Harry's perspective. But, you know, he, he clearly doesn't have very much magical ability as demonstrated in this book. But well, one thing that's it's inter- kind of surprising, right? Yeah, it is surprising. And one thing that's interesting is that, you know, they make it sort of a whole joke in the parts of the book that Hermione gets to be in. It's the whole parts are like her being like, oh, Lockhart is great. No, he's not crazy. Mm -hmm. And they're, I know that they're trying to make it like, oh, he's so handsome. And so she just doesn't care and is obsessed with him. Um, Which I think, you know, obviously the handsomeness and charming personality is part of it, but I think the fact that Hermione, who is so smart and I think can see through people a lot, um, does believe him or wants to believe it and give him another chance, um, mm-hmm. kind of says something about him and how all these like reasonable people throughout 
the world could believe him because um, I think that Hermione, something about her personality is that she also does want to believe that, you know, when she grows up, that she and that other people can be really capable of great things and capable of learning complex magic and traveling the world and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that she, you know, sees Lockhart and she's like, well, why can't this be true? Why does this have to be fake? Right. And also she she trusts books. We've talked about that before. But like she reads something. She never met Lockhart until she'd already read all of his books. Yes, true. And so she already had this idea of him as a man and it took a lot for, for him to combat that essentially right so another aspect of this whole lockhart shenanigan thing is about memory charms themselves Mm -hmm. so there's a couple interesting things about it right there's first of all the incantation obliviate Mm -hmm. like you know relates to like oblivion um and it's basically kind of dark sounding right it is dark and it's especially so kind of skipping ahead a bit like we see that this it's really funny when the memory charm backfires on Lockhart, but later on um, in The Order of the Phoenix, we see Lockhart in St. Mungo's, and we see kind of how upsetting and dark it actually is to be affected in the way the extreme way that he is by the memory charm. Mm. Like, Oblivion is complete, um, like, bliss almost in a way because you're so um, naive, about everything that's happening, but it's so dark because you don't ever know anything. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's some obvious parallels to like Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. right? You know, you just forget everything about you and your past and everything that happens going forward. Um, but it's not the same kind of thing. It was like spell induced, so it wasn't a gradual thing. He just like immediately lost mm-hmm. all his memories. It's like a it's like a traumatic injury or something right he had complete retrograde amnesia um and and i you know we 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 see the damage that memory charms do later on as you were just saying but like i feel like we should talk about it more because you know what does it do to the person getting obliviated and what might it do to a person who constantly obliviates people around them like do you start to like experience memories differently or think about memories differently if you are constantly taking everyone else's away like also you know how precise does it get like can you can you remove memories of a specific occasion and then Mm -hmm. like what happens to that person if they just forget like the events of a day or something like that yeah i think it's fascinating um and we don't know even later when we see more about it we don't know how much or have many details about how it works Mm -hmm. um and what can be done but i think that especially the idea of Lockhart's character and like we talked about how he kind of probably relatively innocently came into this idea of I'm going to pretend that I did these things but then it became so second nature and he was doing it all the time Mm. and I would think that you would experience memory and also kind of consequences differently and the and you know Lockhart is constantly saying things um about you know what he can do or what you know what what he will do to the um, monster in the chamber mm-hmm. and then you know doing things like oh let me just fix your arm Harry and then it doesn't turn out well and I think that that combined with him being obviously a narcissistic person um, makes him feel like well there consequences if things don't turn out well I'll just obliviate them so that people forget that 
Right. It didn't turn out the way it should have. Yeah, it probably gives him a sense of, like, invincibility to some extent, or, like, at least feeds his narcissism, mm-hmm. right? That he can just make people forget what happened. Right. And, yeah, it, it. I mean, the parallel to me is, like, Men in Black, right? But, like, one of the one of the things that's played for jokes in that movie is that um, Jay keeps, like, you know, flashing people mm-hmm. right after he talks to them so that they forget all about the Men in Black, and Will Smith's character is just like, hey, you got to stop doing that. Like, yeah. This one lady in particular who works at the morgue, like she's been flashed like five times so far today. Yeah. You know, you can't just keep doing this. Like, yeah. She's going to have real memory problems later on. Yeah. Um, and, and it's the same kind of thing with this. Like, you know, how many memory charms can a person take before they start to have like brain problems, you know, yeah. like neurological symptoms outside of just like the memory charm itself. And we would think that um, there is some level of you know extreme precision that you can do with these charms based on like we're saying that he you know he didn't completely obliviate the minds of all these people that he encountered he Mm. just removed those memories um is what we're assuming at least um and you know i bet that if you are very talented at memory charms like lockhart is you can remove very specific memories um for people in a kind of like an internal sunshine of the spotless mind kind yeah. of way um and again how does that, i mean there's been obviously a lot of movies about this but how does that affect the person and how does your mind rearrange that so if you for example if he was obliviating someone who killed a vampire and this whole adventure they went on if he obliviates that um that adventure probably affected a lot of other things about their life so how do mm-hmm. they reconcile for themselves um, those changes that have been made from there is there a new story is it kind right. of like cognitive dissonance in your brain and you have to decide one way or another how mm-hmm. something happened i mean it is pretty fascinating i think yeah it is it is for sure i bet a wizard version of oliver Sacks would have a field day with it <laughs> yeah um but th- there's another thing that i just thought of while we were talking about this that is kind of a disturbing consequence of the effect that the obliviate spell exists which is like you can reprogram people essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have prisoners and you basically decide like this person is a threat to society and we like, but we don't want to execute them, you can just wipe their memory away completely, mm-hmm. you know, and leave them a blank slate. It's like lobotomizing someone mm-hmm. essentially. Just completely wipe their memories. They have no idea who they are. Like, why? I mean, in a sense, you might ask, like, why don't wizards do that to the more like dangerous criminals like mm-hmm. Voldemort and all these other people? Um, why haven't they done that? But in another sense, it's like that's a really terrifying world to live mm-hmm. in where like at the drop of a hat, you could just have all of your memories gone. Your, mm-hmm. your whole identity, your whole sense of self is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, when Dumbledore is describing the consequences of the Dementor's kiss, that's how it always seems to me. Yeah. It's like it's a complete removal of self from you. Yeah. But having your whole memory removed is the same thing. It is the same. It's the same thing. And I also wonder, you know, what would what would that change you know would it change for example like uh, Voldemort's memory or you know some death eater's memory you know would that change everything about them and when they're blank slate like how would they go the same way or not i mean there's so many questions with that yeah i mean i i personally subscribe to the theory that a person is essentially a product of all of their memories right and if you remove all of them they're nothing it's yeah. not like they're they're essentially like a newborn baby. Yeah, they, they, they don't have They anything. have unlimited potential. They could do whatever they want. Um, they have no personality. They have no 
expectations of themselves. Yeah. They have nothing. This is reminding me (laughs) of uh, Game of Thrones. No spoilies, but, um, you know, Bran is, like, saying that he holds the memory of... Of the world, yeah. Um, So, sorry if you don't watch Game of Thrones, but basically he's holding all the the memories and that's kind of why he is supposedly powerful or being targeted because memory is so important. And Mm -hmm. if all the memories of, like, their history are lost, then what will they be? Yeah. This is in dangerous territory. We might be getting into some uh, philosophical Yes, we're definitely doing that. (laughs) And we'll talk about this, obviously, later in the series, but I think it is interesting this is where we see the most of Lockhart's character at all in the whole series in this chapter. Mm -hmm. But uh, real quickly, before we wrap up for the, for the week, I think bringing it back to the end of the chapter when Harry is on his own with physical barriers between him and the rest of the world now, Mm -hmm. you know, very much parallels the first book with Harry going on a journey with his friends, literally underground. Um, We talked about that last book, how it was like sort of a, you know, a literal descent into the underworld Mm -hmm. and hear the same thing. Um, And now he needs to go alone because circumstances demand it. Yeah. So whether it was the, you know, the the black fire to the last room under the school in book one, and now it's, you know, the the parcel tongue gated door to the Chamber of Secrets, you know, he's going on alone and he's 12 and he's got no weapons. Yeah. He's got he's got no idea what's going on. He has no idea who is waiting on the other side of that door, just like in the first book. Right. And uh, somehow he'll make it out. Yeah, right. So, very lucky boy, this Harry Potter. He is. And I think that, you know, there's some element of predestiny to this um, because this is a theme that continues throughout actually all the books is that Harry will go on alone um, at the end to many of these final dangerous journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that it's kind of foreshadowing the whole idea of Horcruxes, not just because he's about to meet one, but um, because he is one and he's continuing to descend further down into the underworld. You know, mm-hmm. he is speaking more and more parcel tongue, which connects him to Voldemort, um, kind of becoming more monster-like himself almost. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of connecting himself to this, part of Voldemort and that he is somehow like we talked about with the diary maybe the the two of them are pulled to each other in a certain way yeah that's leading him there in fact before the Deathly Hallows came out many readers had theorized that the final confrontation between Harry and Voldemort would take place back in the Chamber of Secrets Mm. because it was a place that like they too only people in the world that can be in this chamber right like no one else can even access it except for them so it seemed like a fitting end to the story to have it be brought full circle in this place where both of them are uniquely able to access it. Yeah. And they would have that final confrontation there. Didn't happen, but it's still a cool idea, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and it has a lot of symbolism for like as you were just saying like how the two of them are pulled to this place. Mm-hmm. You know, when everyone in the book thought Harry was the heir, mm-hmm. it was because he had this attribute. He can speak parcel tongue mm-hmm. and no one else can. They're probably as Voldemort said, the only two parcel tongues to attend Hogwarts since Salazar Slytherin himself, mm. which is interesting. Right. I mean, and we could talk even more and more about memory, so I'll stop myself soon. But <laughs> I'm thinking about how memory is not only tied into all this stuff with Lockhart right now, but, um, you know, Tom Riddle is a memory. 
Um, yes. And he yeah. is actually coming out. You know, it's not just that he's a Horcrux, but he is a memory. Memory made flesh. We'll see that next chapter. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Chamber of Secrets. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the concept of memory as it's used in this book and the removal thereof, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we slither in to chapter 17, The Heir of Slytherin. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox. Knox.